Thank you, Mr. Robin. Take your Bibles, if you would, this evening and turn to Ezra chapter 6 tonight. Ezra chapter 6, as we continue in this wonderful, blessed book that God has provided for us to read and study. A lot of people uh, don't focus on this, these couple chapters, uh, but, but I think they're important. Every part of the Word of God is important, amen? It's all inspired, important for us to read, to understand, to study, and to know about. As we've come to these years after their exile, if you have not been here, we're talking about the history of Israel after they were in bondage or in exile for 70 years in Babylon, then Persia. They've come out, go back, 50,000 of them gone to back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, ultimately to rebuild the city. We'll read about that more in Nehemiah. We talked about the fact that that God had ordained this already in the book of uh, Isaiah, 120 years before it actually happened. Cyrus the king was prophesied that he would actually give the decree. And so they went into the went back to the land and began to rebuild, began to rejoice. And remember, for about 15 years there, they were stopped because the enemies of the Lord uh, came and said they wanted to help, but they didn't really want to help. They wanted to hurt, and they did hurt. They went back. They went to the king and told him that, hey, these folks. They're not going to give you any taxes. We're not, they're, they're, they're going to be troublemakers. They're going to be rebels. And, and for about 15 years, they didn't. Then some preachers, prophets came by, came in, and, and, and told them to set their eyes back on the Lord, to, to Haggai and Zechariah, begin to preach the word of God, teach them, encourage them, help them, and they began the work. And as we looked at last time, they, the, the enemies of the Lord again said, why are you guys doing this? We told you, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, and... Uh, they were they were pretty uh, pretty insistent they shouldn't be do that so they went to the king King Darius and uh, told King Darius again the situation that hey you got some rebels they're out they're out there building this this great this great place this great temple their great God and uh, what did Darius do well Darius didn't take their word for it amen uh, trust but verify. Hey, you, you're nothing wrong. Yeah, you should, you should trust what people say, but you need to verify people's faith, especially when they count themselves unworthy in what they say. So they trust. They listened. The, the, the Darius made a decree to trust to find out exactly what was happening. And he went back into the archives and found that Cyrus had actually said that they were to be uh, this temple was be we'd be uh, built and all help should be given. Uh, to the Jewish people, and it was it was done. So we come to this in Ezra chapter six and verse thirteen. And we see what happens after that. Ezra chapter six and verse thirteen. Then Tatnai, the governor on the side of the river, Seth Sarbanzai, my favorite name, and their companions, according to that which Darius the king had sent. So did they speedily. And the elders of the Jews built it, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, Zechariah, the son of Idu. And they could build it and finish it according to the commandment of God of Israel, and according to the commandment of Cyrus, the Darius, and Xerxes, king of Persia. And the house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was on the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the children of Israel, and the priests, and Levites, and the rest of the children of, of the captivity kept the dedication of his house of God with joy, and offered at that dedication of the house of God a hundred bullock, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs for a sin offering for all Israel, twelve he goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel, 
And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their courses for the service of God, which is at Jerusalem, as is written in the book of Moses. And the children of captivity kept the Passover upon the 14th day of the first month, for the priests of the Levites were, were purified together. All of them were pure and killed the Passover for all the children of captivity and for their brethren, the priests, and themselves. And the children of Israel, which come again out of the captivity, and all such had separated themselves unto to them with the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek the Lord of God and of Israel did eat. And they kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days of joy, for the Lord had made them joyful, turned the heart of the king of Syria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Father, we thank you again for tonight. Help us, Lord, as we hear your word. Give us ears to hear. On this Wednesday night in December, give us ears to hear. Spirit of the living God, speak to each one individually. Each one of us has needs, has struggles, has difficulties, has issues. All of us, Lord, need to be an encouragement. We need to be challenged. We need to be, we need to be helped. And help only comes from you. So we're asking for your help tonight as we read your word to help us in areas where we struggle, where we need to grow, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of our favorite songs this year, as, as we've sang some of them already, is Joy to the World, the Lord has come. You like that song? But the truth is, <clears throat> according to some, as I've been reading some statistics, the Church of Jesus Christ is sometimes, when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about specifically this church. I'm talking about the church in general, churches in general. Sometimes the church uh, of Jesus Christ often seems any, 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 like anything other than a place of joy, a place of fellowship, a place characterized by joy. There was a Gallup poll several years ago that uncovered that 60% of unchurched people Consider the church not as a place that, that enable people to enjoy God, but rather an organization that simply tried to support itself and preserve its past. Now, they may be a little bit skewed in their thinking, right? <laughs> but that is a characteristic, I'm sure, of some churches. Have you ever been into a church where it's cold? Have you ever been in a church where it wasn't friendly? Have you ever been in a church where uh, people weren't, uh, it wasn't a loving church seeking a living Savior, caring about their community. You, you ever been to churches like that? Uh, I have. As many of you know, I traveled with the Academy of Arts for three years and another drama team for, an, for another summer. And I've probably been in over 500 churches. And I can tell you, uh, there's some places I went in, I was wanting to get out. <laughs> because it wasn't, temp, wasn't cold, the thermostat wasn't too low. It was cold in the play, and it was cold inside the church. Not just temperature-wise, but the people were cold. They were cold, callous, and, and, and not too caring. And you don't, have to, you don't have to be there very long. But things happen sometimes. And it's easy to happen. You get a group of people, and so-and-so over there is old Miss so-and-so over there is, is bitter at old Miss so-and-so over there. Or, or, or Fred over there is mad at Sam over there. It don't take a whole lot of bitterness and anger and angst for the, for, the, for the temperature in God's house not to be warm with love and affection and care, but to be cold, to be cold. 
And dear friend, that can happen to that can happen to any church. It can happen to any family. It can happen to any individual. Any individual. Listen to me. Any of any one of us, including this man on the stage right now, is one decision from being out of God's will and making some horrible decisions that can affect the rest of their life. Each of us are only one decision. One decision. And our life is changed forever. You see it on the news all the time. Just pick up, listen, just open your phone to the electrical chronicle and see how did this homeless man get in the situation that he was, as I read this last time, that he was beaten on the door of somebody's house, house trying to get in? How, how did that how did how did that person get to the state where that person was was assaulting another person and threatening their life? How did they get to that state? How did they get in that situation? Well, it was a series of bad decisions. A series of bad decisions. And you know what? Even us who are born again, blood-bought Christians can get in desperate straits in life. We can get we can, we can get out of God's will. And it is, and, and it's no longer, I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. No. That's why we have to daily be in God's word. That's why we have to daily confess our sins to God. That's why we regularly need to go to those around us and keep short sin accounts with God and all of us around us to live and choose to live in righteousness. What is a missing jewel that's in the church? Well, worship is the action, but joy is the attitude behind that action. Worship is ministry, but joy is the motivation that moves us to minister. The Bible says in John chapter 10 and verse 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life. And they may have it more abundantly. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice evermore, evermore. We could go on to Romans chapter 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The very ingredient and many, and many missing in many believers' lives is the quality that separates us as Christians from the rest of the world. What is that? The sparkling jewel which attracts a needy, dissatisfied, unfilled world is joy. The difference between the world and us is we, as Christians, are supposed to be filled with joy. 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 Where can it be found? You say, under the, under the mistletoe. No. Some, well, for some, maybe more than others. <laughs> maybe under the tree, in the stocking, in the refrigerator. <laughs> where, where do you get your joy? Where do you get your joy? Well, that's a question, of, what question could be asked. First of all, first of all, joy. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry about that. I knocked that. If you can knock that down, but I don't know if you can or not. I should have done that for you. First of all, joy is discovered in submission. 
Joy is discovered in verse submission. Look at verse 14 again. And the elders of the Jews built it, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet of Zechariah, the son of Idu. And they built it and finished it according to the commandment of God, the, of, of the God of Israel, and according to the commandment of, of Sirius and Darius and Xerxes, king of Persia. Key words here in verse 14. They built it, they finished it according to the commandment of Israel. How do you have joy? When you submit yourself to the will of God. That's how you have joy. Whenever you submit yourself to the will of God and finish what he wants you to do, there is credible joy. There is joy unspeakable when you and I choose to obey God. But dear friend, when you live, there's nothing worth on this earth. There's nothing worth on this earth than to be a Christian and out of fellowship with God. That's the worst thing in the world. It's the worst thing in the world because you're not, you're not right with yourself. You're not right with your fellow man. You're not right with God. So what we have to do, we always, that's, why, that's why we have a Bible reading board. That's why I encourage you as Christians to read the book. Because if you don't know what this says, how can you know what to obey? I mean, I was just looking just for a moment back in Proverbs, the importance of Proverbs. Read a, a proverb a day, maybe keep the devil away. But I was just looking at Proverbs. And some of the words, some of the, some of the proverbs that are found in it, and just, just, some, just some wisdom that's found throughout the, throughout the book, it, it talking about in, in Proverbs chapter 22, uh, Whoso stoppeth his ears to cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. A gift in secret pacifieth anger, but reward of the bosom, strong wrath. The, heart, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as rivers of water he turneth it, whether, wheresoever he, he will. Uh, <laughs> You just read, read throughout the scriptures. For have not written the excellent things in the counsels of knowledge. Rob not the poor because he is poor. Neither oppress the afflicted in, their, in, the, in the gate. For Lord will plead the cause and spoil the soul of them that spoil them. I mean, just read the scriptures. There's so much knowledge. There's so much truth. There's so much. It, it helps us in every, every area of life. When you're young. And you got kids. Oh, man, dear friend, you got to discipline your children. If you don't discipline your children while they're young, they'll, they'll, they'll grow up to be wild people. There's a truism, spoil the, spoil the, spare the rod, spoil the child. He that spareth, the Bible says, he that spareth the rod hateth his son. Now, you look, listen to some of the psycho babble today that you get those magazines at Walmart and Publix, and they say, oh, if you spank your kids, you'll scar them from life. No different. If you don't discipline your children, you'll destroy the society of America. And that's what's wrong with America. Little mama says, I'm not going to spank little Johnny. It might scar him. It might hurt him. No, dear friend, the best thing you can do for little Johnny and little Sarah is to discipline them so that they don't discipline them on 39th or on Archer Road or in Butler because mom and dad never had the courage, the obedience to do what is right. Somebody say amen or owe me something. <laughs> you said, oh, it's hard. Well, trust me. Angie and I had little ones. We had to make a decision. What we going to do? We had to make a decision. And everybody, every parent, has to make that decision. And that's through, that's through all your life. That's just, that's just one area. There's so many different areas. But as we obey God, he gives us joy. 
Someone stated that happiness is kissing your girlfriend, but joy is celebrating your 50th wedding anniversary. <laughs> That's joy. Happiness can be taken from us because of some unfortunate event. But dear friend, nothing should take away your joy. Nothing should take away your joy. So joy is discovered in submission to the will of God. But secondly, it's, it's all been out of shape now, brother. Sorry. It's probably messed up. The next one might be messed up too. Secondly, joy is discovered in our confession. There we go. Thank you, brother. Look at verse 17. And offered the dedication of the house of God, 100 bullocks, 200 rams, 400 lambs, for the sin offering of all Israel, 12 he goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And he set the priests and the divisions and the Levites and the courses for the service of God, which is Jerusalem as written in the, in the book of Moses. And the children of the captivity kept the Passover upon the 14th day of the first of the month. For the priests and Levites were purified together. All of them were pure. Kill the Passover for all the children of the captivity and for their priests, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Sacrifices were offered. Sin is admitted. The grace, the mercy of God is remembered. And you see in verse, 6, uh, verse 17b, as a sign of the, of the uh, as, a, as a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the 12 tribes of Israel, and really throughout the book of Ezra, all 12 tribes represented in chapter 2, verse 70, all Israel dwelt in cities. Chapter 8 and verse 35, all the children of those who had been carried away out of the captivity were burnt offerings in the, into the God, into the God of Israel. And we see here in chapter 6 and verse 17, the 12 he goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. So, this, so they, they were sacrificing to cleanse their sin. So not only was it a time of obedience, it's realizing the importance of being right in confession and being right in confession and having your sin covered by being clean, by being whole because you confessed your sin. You know, one sin can destroy an entire church, an entire family, an entire, entire people. You say, where do you get that, Pastor Moon? Remember Achan and Ai? I mean, they just, they just defeated Jericho. What's this little place called Ai? Much smaller. Just, just go up there and we'll just go up there and whip those boys. Did, it, did they whip them? No. They got whipped. Why? Because there was a man not Ake, named Achan who stole some things he shouldn't, he shouldn't have. He took of the Babylonian garment. He took things he shouldn't have taken. And because of that, his sin affected everyone around him. He ex, 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 and it, it affected all of Israel. And, jo and what did Joshua, Joshua do? He got on his face. He went to cry out to God, Lord, what's the problem? <laughs> the problem was, was this one man's sin. Until his sin was taken care of, and if you read it, the Bible says that he, he, not only was he killed, but his, his animals and an entire family was destroyed. His one sin affected everybody. And dear friend, you, you may think the devil ha does a good thing, good, a good job in making us think, well, my sin doesn't affect anything. No, your sin affects everything. That's why before you come to church on Sunday morning, before you come to the house of God, we ought to be, you ought to ask yourself, am I clean? Am I clean? I'm not talking about physically. That's a good thing. I'm talking about spiritually. 
If you're not right with your husband, man, get right with your husband, ladies. Husbands, if you're not right with your wife, get right with your wife. Do not discuss finances on the way to church, please. Please, please, please don't discuss finances. Don't discuss discipline of your kids maybe on the way to church either. Maybe that might be not do that. Maybe wait to after church just to talk about the bills. Maybe talk about it later. But on Sunday, choose to get right with God. Be clean. I have no doubt the, the effectiveness of the preaching and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is hindered because sin in the church. I have no doubt about it. That's why we want to be clean. That's why we want to be right. That's why I've covenanted with God. I don't want to stand behind that pulpit if I'm not right and clean and ready to preach the word of God. And that's what will that's what affect our joy. How can we have joy if we have dirt in our lives and hate in our heart towards other people? It affects everybody around us. The Bible says in Ezra chapter 6, 21, the children of Israel which were come out of captivity and all such as separated themselves unto the filth, from the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek the Lord God. the Lord God of Israel. You see, in seeking the Lord God of Israel, that's where they found the joy. It's not going out there and saying, I need joy, I need joy, I got to seek joy. No, dear friend, as you seek the Lord and you focus on him and obey him and submit to him, then he gives you joy. He gives you joy. It's, it become, he, be, he becomes your preoccupation. Not worry. Not, an, not anxiety. Or, do you struggle with anxiety? Someone, I heard a preacher say a, a good quote this today. We should not, we're all, we're all have the presence of anxiety, but we don't have to be in the prison of anxiety. Because we're not preoccupied with it. Our preoccupation should be the Lord himself should be the word himself. So when you start to worry, instead of focusing on things you cannot change, and 99% of things we worry about is something you can't change. You can't. You know what you need to do instead of worrying? Get in the word. Get in the book of Proverbs. Start reading the verse, book of Proverbs. You say, I'm not very good listening. Then I tell you what, friend, just get you a CD. Get, I mean, get you something. We can help, help even provide you something, a CD or something, to help you listen to the Word. I've known people who go through manic depression, I mean deep, dark depression, and they just begin for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, even an hour, just listen to the Word of God. The Word of God washes us. It cleanses us. Dear friend, instead of turning on the news, because you got to be crazy to watch that much, much, very long, because it's, it's sad, it's bad, and it's going to get worse. Somebody died. Somebody said something about something they shouldn't have said. Somebody got in trouble. It's just the same thing over, just plus repeat, just different people. Oh, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of it, but dear friend, I wouldn't let that be the focus of your life. Listen to hymns. Song, in spiritual songs. Turn off the old Willie Nelson and start listening to Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
Start listening to Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. You listen to that old country music, the dog died again, your car broke down again, your wife left you a third time. That's every country song out there. How about singing something, listen to something positive that's going to help you, that's going to encourage you, things that are higher, things that are nobler. These have alerted my sight. Get some good old, good old bluegrass gospel Christian music or operetta for you who like that stuff too. There's all kinds of out there. But realize, be, be preoccupied with God. I love what Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that was in you as some strange thing happened to you. When, when, when problems come as they came to these people, don't think, it, don't think it's a strange thing. Don't think, ooh, it's me. <laughs> it happens to all of us. He says, he says, don't get depressed, don't get discouraged, don't get frustrated, don't quit. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. So what happens when you, when you, have, when you go through hard times? Thank, thank God I get, to, I get to be a part of this. Is, did Jesus Christ suffer while he was down here? He suffered, and he never sinned one time, yet he suffered. Now, dear friend, if Jesus Christ suffered as, a, as the sinless son of man, you think we're going to get through this life without suffering? No. The world is preoccupied with everything but the preeminent one. The believer, we need to, we need to focus on what God says. What does God want to do? Be preoccupied with the moment with where God has us, and be present in the moment. Not always focusing on what the past is, the good old days. Oh, they're good, but you can't change the good old days. Not, al not always focusing on the future, but focusing right now in the present. Be present in the moment, preoccupied with Christ, and be present with everyone around you. You know what you ought to do this Christmas? Out after you read the Christmas story and before you just unwrapped all those presents, Thank God for every person that's there. And friend, let me tell you, there's no guarantee that those people in your house are going to be there next time next year. Every year we come to this place and there's, and there's someone that's not sitting here that was sitting here this time last year. That's true every year. Life is a, well, life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanisheth away. And sometimes that's the very will of God. Some people think, well, you know, it's the will of God for me to live to 80 or 90. Maybe not. Maybe God wants to take you home early. You never know. They'll be present in the moment. I heard I read about a man by the name of De David Elkind. He recorded this interesting moment. He says, I remember visiting my middle son nursery school class at the request of his teacher so that I could observe a problem child in the class. It so happened that I was sitting and observing a group of boys, including my son, who sat in the circle nearby, uh, nearby talking, the conversation went like this. One child said, my daddy's a doctor and he makes a lot of money. We're having, we, we have a swimming pool. Another child chimed in, my daddy's a lawyer and he flies to New Washington and talks to the president. And another boy says, my daddy owns a company and we, have our, and we have an airplane. Then the man said, my son said something that could not be topped. With a proud look in, in, in my direction, he said, my daddy's here. My daddy's here. Makes a difference, doesn't it? Oh, my soul. Brother Eric, 
Brother Bob back there, we've been reading in a book called The Tender Warrior about the number one problem in America. You know what that is? No father in the home. Fatherlessness. Those two chapters, I wish, I wish every man in this room could read those chapters about the effect of fatherlessness in our nation and how it has decimated, decimated our country. Mm. What that boy was experiencing, he was experiencing joy because God was, because his dad was there. But dear friend, we can experience God because Emmanuel's come. God with us. Where do we go that God's not there? He's with us all the time. Joy is a product of a relationship with your, with your heavenly father who is always there. Number four. Four is discovering joy is a matter of our perception. Not our pre, only our preoccupation, our perception. Verse 22, look at it. And they kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Uh -huh. You think, well, they're focusing on what they did. No, they knew it was God who did all those things because they remember, they, they, they remember what Zechariah had said. Back in chapter 4, verse 6, then he said unto them, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. They knew what they accomplished was not what they did. It was what God had done. You see, joy has everything to do with, do with our perception. Our perception. See, my perception of things and your perception might be totally different. But to us, even though it's maybe not reality, perception is reality. It is reality. That's why we have to, as the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why I preached this last Sunday that we believe the next thing that's going to happen to us is the return of Jesus Christ in the rapture. If we didn't believe that at our last business meeting, where Brother Pete and Brother Jimmy... And Brother Travis, we would say, well, how many, how many uh, stacks of water do we need to keep? Why, or how, what type of a hole back there do we need to dig? You know, because we, we got to get ready for the Antichrist to come. We got to get ready for the tribulation to come. No, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Christ. I'm looking for Jesus Christ to come back. Christians, we have joy in our hearts in a mixed up world because we know what is the end. We know the end. Hayden Planetorium in New York City ran a bogus advertisement in New York City papers inviting those who would like to make their first journey to another planet to live there to submit an application. Within a matter of days, over 18,000 people applied. The applications then were handed to a panel of psychologists to evaluate who upon reviewing them concluded the vast majority of those who applied were simply so disillusioned with life on this planet, they hoped to believe they could start a new one on another one. These were ordinary people. These weren't society dropouts, not strange fanatics of heaven gate type cults. But as one author wrote, these were people who had discovered that life was not producing joy and fulfillment, even as they possessed more and more and more and more stuff. They thought, if I only have more stuff, 
I'll get more joy. And that is not the truth. Joy is not in things, dear, dear friends. Joy is in a person. And you can't get any more of him. But he can get a whole lot more of us. And I promise you, as you submit yourself to the will of God, as you confess your sin to God, as you choose to get right with God, as you are preoccupied with God, as your perception, even though things may seem bad, you know the end of the book and what's going to happen. Though the world seems crazed and nuts and out of control, we know the end. Oh, dear friend, focus on those things, those things. Submission, confession, preoccupation, and perception. Submit ourselves to the will of God. Confess our faults one to another. Be preoccupied with God, not the cares and troubles of the world. And may our perception not be skewed on the daily troubles, struggles of things and people around us, but it may our perception be on God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his will for our lives. I love what Walter Knight wrote. Joy is the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence today. Is the king in residence in your life today? If he is, there's joy. If he's not, there's gloom, despair, and agony on me. Whoa. Just another hee-haw song. You see, really, life is between two things, hee-haw or hallelujah. How are you living today? Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I pray, God, that we would certainly have joy. Joy, joy, unspeakable joy. Oh, God, help us to be submitted to your will. Help us to be surrendered, have a sweet spirit to forgive others, ask forgiveness. Help us to be preoccupied with thee and may our perception, our focus be only on you. Oh, on this Wednesday night before Christmas, how are you? If I was to ask you honestly, and it was just me and you, could you honestly say this evening that you have joy? Or maybe you have a lot to lack in that area. Maybe it's regret or pain, or sadness, or regret, or grief. Say, preacher, I'm not experiencing a whole lot of joy in my life, but I need to. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest this evening? I've not been experiencing a whole lot of joy in my life, but I need to. I want to. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest tonight? Anybody be honest? Dear friend, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're missing the greatest joy this world has ever known. Life, everlasting life, through him alone. And dear friend, if you're struggling with sin, let me beg you, get clean tonight. Confess your sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get right with God. Get right with others. Get clean so you can know that joy. Let's stand to our feet this evening as the piano plays. The altar is open this, this evening.
Maybe some areas you need to get right. You'd like to come to this old altar and ask God to forgive you. Something you're struggling with. Maybe someone you're, maybe someone you're struggling with. Maybe you need the courage to go to that person. Maybe you need the wisdom to talk to that person. The timing, the right timing. God help us. And he will help us if we ask. 